active killers are not new. The first school massacre that I know of was in 1764 in Pennsylvania. The worst school killing, if you look at numbers killed, was Bath, Michigan in 1927. 43 people killed, 58 injured. 45 killed if you consider the killer and the killer's wife that were also died that day. It's not a new problem, but statistics show it has been increasing over the last couple decades. As you know, I wrote Survive a Shooting, and I teach this around the country. But for this special Coffee with Alan, I wanted to bring in a couple other experts so we could get some different perspectives. Joining me today, Jason Brick, who is an author of When Nothing Happened. You know, there I was when nothing happened. And a new book that will be coming out soon on For the Safest Family on the Block, which actually has a chapter on school safety and active killers are part of that. So we're going to have some information from Jason. And then we have Nick Hughes, author of How to Be Your Own Bodyguard. This is an older version that I have signed. There is a newer version on Amazon where he updated and added some stuff. And I don't have a copy of that yet. Have to get one soon. But I asked Nick on because he has a unique perspective that Jason and I don't have and many people don't have. It's because Nick is from Australia and he's lived in Europe. He was with the French Foreign Legion. He can bring this world perspective of what other countries are doing and different things as well, because this problem is not only in the United States. So I would like each of them to introduce them a little bit more because I didn't do them justice. So, Jason, if you could tell a little bit about your background so people know who's providing the information today. Sure thing. I'm, I'm Jason Brick. I'm host of Save His Family on the Block. I spent the first half of my adult life teaching martial arts, working as a little bit of work as a bodyguard, a lot of work in security. Then I had kids and transitioned into a career in journalism. For the last four years, I've kind of crossed those streams with my show where I take those journalism chops and my experience as a father and as a martial artist security guy. And I interview experts on family safety, everything from crime prevention specialists like the two of you, both Nick and Alan have been on my show, to nutritionists, suicide counselors, driving instructors, anybody who can bring information to me to about keeping the family safe from any category. Awesome. Thank you for joining us, Jason. And Nick, if you could tell people a little bit about you and your background so they know who's sharing information today. Yeah, uh, mate, I got into martial arts before Bruce Lee burst onto the big screen. So I've been doing it long. I got into it before the Dead Sea was dead. Um, got black belts in everything you can get them in because I traveled and lived in 21 countries. So I didn't stick with one style. I ended up joining the French Foreign Legion so I could work as a bodyguard. I needed special forces qualifications uh, according to the agencies that hire them. So I did that for six, seven years. Uh, ended up over here in the States. A woman was responsible for that. And I've been teaching martial arts and dealing with self-defense ever since. And I appreciate you being here, Nick. And, you know, we had uh, both Jay and Dixon have said good morning and hello and appreciate you guys being here. And if you have questions for myself, for Jason, for Nick, please ask those questions while we're here on live and we'll get those answered. If you're watching on a replay, you know, we're going to have contact information for all of us at the end, too, if you want to reach out to any of us that we can help you or your organization. But, you know, first of all, we're just, you know, let's talk a little bit about what happened and your thoughts about, you know, the school shooting that just happened this week. And either of you guys can go first, just jump on in. Yeah, um, is this a PG that. show this morning or um, are we going to, going, are, can we cuss? Because I'll tell you, that's the first thing that came out of my mouth. Uh -huh. we, tr we try to keep it family friendly, but with a word or two, yeah, I mean, it upsets me and I have some profanity to say about some of these killers myself. So I'll, I'll tell you a, a short anecdote. Uh, I recently posted it on the um, Save His Family on the Block group and article for Insider.com that I was hired to do about school shootings, about how you, we can talk to our kids and prepare them for that. And that had a lot of some information. It was inspired by you guys' work, in fact. And I, we had made that, made the deal for that article about a month ago, and it was going through the normal editorial process that usually takes several weeks. And I got an email that Tuesday morning from my editor, and all it said was, 
God damn it. I guess we're putting our, your article up today. Hmm. Uh, and I, I think a lot of us, that's, when you see it now, there's this, there's not even a shock or awe anymore when these things happen. There's this infuriated, helpless resignation when we see about the next school, school shooting or mass shooting. I, yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I agree with I agree with that. We have this very formulaic response. Half of my friends on Facebook start screaming, ban guns. Uh, the rest are like, when are we going to put school resource officers in place? And then in a month, they'll be talking about something else. Yeah. And you got the two-way on the one side and the ban all guns on the other side. And I just feel like there has to be some kind of middle ground between let Auschwitz happen again and let people keep shooting our kids. There's got to be in some kind of workable agreement in the middle. It is. And you know, Nick and I were talking a couple of days ago where when it's kids, it's, it's worse because I can understand a lot of reasons for killing. I mean, I can conceptually understand it, you know, whether it's war or in self-defense or stealing from somebody or taking power or you were dead. I mean, there's a lot of reasons I can conceptually understand. I cannot conceptually understand why you would want to kill a, a, a little kid an innocent little kid that you have no connection with other than they're like Nick said the other day when we were talking, they're an easy target. It's a soft target. And that's the same reason 1764, 1927, those schools were soft targets then and why those massacres happened. It's sort of the same today and it's just sickening and even worse when it's the little kids. Yeah. Yep, I agree. But now we're back to why are they targeting children specifically? And this is a mental health thing. And this is another big part of this puzzle. I, I want to preface this by two things. One, there is no easy answer. This idea that we're just going to ban guns and this will all go away is BS because there are other countries that have all sorts of school massacres that do not have access to weapons. All right, so Japan, China, Finland, Sweden, there's all sorts of countries around the world. Australia, after we banned guns after the Tasmania shooting, uh, one guy burnt 15 people to death in a, um, a hostel for travelers. Another five were bludgeoned to death somewhere else. Uh, Japan, they use sarin gas. They've stabbed people. There's been a guy in 1964 in Germany, a guy went to a school with a flamethrower and a spear and killed 64 people, uh, 74 people. All right. So this idea of we'll get rid of the guns and this is all fixed is BS. Uh, mental health, here, here we have a major problem. Right, And there's two things that went on. One, Reagan, much as I love the man, back in the 80s, slashed mental health funding. I mean, he cut it to the bone. Then we did this again in 2009, 2011. The problem is this. The mental health industry, right, them and themselves do not want to blame this on mental health because they're very worried. And this is not a criticism. This is an observation. They're very concerned that if you turn around and go, this is mental health, that we start looking at anyone who's ever been to see a shrink as a potential killer of kids in a school. And they don't want to lump everyone into the same basket because most people who are being treated for any sort of mental illness are not going to go get a gun and shoot up a school. But now what they don't get or seem to appreciate is the gun, in, the gun owners are exactly the same. We do not want to be lumped into everyone with a gun is going to go shoot up a school. The majority, 99.99% of gun owners are never going to use it for anything but its intended purposes, just as the mental health patients, 99.99% of them aren't going to go get a gun and cut loose and start shooting people. I like that you brought that up because it's such a complex problem. There isn't a simple answer. I actually nope. had a lady once when I showed a graph of rifles, handguns, other weapons used in these killings. And I made the comment that just banning assault rifle ban is not going to stop the problem. Yep. And she said, yes, it will. I said, <laughs> I, look at the graph. There's handguns. There's other weapons. And she wanted to argue with me. And I just, I had to let it go because I'm in the front of a presentation. But it was just funny that she thought that that would definitely solve the problem. Yep. 
And there's just so much to it. And the mental health is huge. Ignoring the warning signs, like Andy Brown's book pointed out so great. If you haven't read that book, it's a wonderful book. He was the Air Force police officer that killed the Fairchild Air Force Base shooter back in the 90s and wrote a book about all the warning signs that were you know, ignored and stuff. I want to bring a couple... that brings the FBI into the picture too, because how many times recently have we found out that they were reported? Yeah. Remember the shooting in Orlando at the gay club and so on? And they, they you do an investigation and find out that people have told them and then they come back and go, well, there's not enough evidence for us there's to do not anything. Enough. Yep. Yeah. Joe mentioned that, you know, they're doing it for shock value to make statements and uh, mentioned about Mao taking the guns and starving folks. But, Yes, I mean, it's not a simple problem. There's, there's, it's very complex, and there's so many different pieces. And I even tell people I'm only one part of it. You know, I teach people what to do to maybe prepare, and if the situation happens, but I'm not a mental health professional, and, and I just want those people to do their jobs to help people, and I want the law enforcement to do their jobs, and if we all work together, maybe we can do something. But unfortunately, instead of working together, we seem to be fighting each other and blaming it somewhere else. Well, to- well and I'll give you an example of how bad that whole mental health is. And again, this is not a criticism of their industry because it's not just them. There's a girl I know who approached me locally. She's being stalked by a guy who ha- hears voices telling him that they need to be married because their child's the new messiah that's going to save all the world's problems. Right now, this guy's walking the streets. His mother, his own mother, is afraid of him. He's come to the store where she works multiple times. They've reported it to law enforcement. Law enforcement's grabbed him and taken him down to the sheriff's department, who then gets someone in mental health involved. Nobody wants to sign off on this guy going away. He's been released again and again and again and again. He keeps turning up at her store, still hearing the voices. They finally put him away for uh, a weekend. Then he came out, went back again. So the next time they got him, he was in a mental health facility for two months. But they'll put him on meds that will control his voices. And then they're going to go, well, we have no funding for this. They're going to let him out. He's not going to take the meds. The voices come back. And I'm just afraid that I'm going to hear one day, oh, he turned up and killed her. And again, everyone will be flapping like, oh, we should have done something. What do you do? She's tried every avenue. She's approached law enforcement. She's approached the mental health people, and and no one wants to sign off on this guy going away forever. And I think that one of the, you know it illustrates how large and complex a problem this is. That the three groups that with our society who put responsibility on there are you know our educators, our mental health professionals, and our law enforcement. And if I walked up to anybody on the street and said. Quick, name three professions that are overworked, underpaid, and whose job <laughs> is rated on the wrong stuff. Most yep. people those three, <laughs> those three professions. Yep. And while the leadership of our country profit far more from argument than they do from solutions, so yep. we're not going to get any help rapidly from there. Yep. Joe made a comment about stigmatizing mental health and like PTSD. And that's sort of like you mentioned earlier, Nick, that most of the people getting mental health are perfectly good people. They're never going to commit violence. But, you know, Joe says, you know, people sometimes hear that and think psycho killer. And and unfortunately, there are people out there that do think that when it's not the reality. Well, I think I think we can agree that all (laughs) All the people that go and shoot up a school full of kids have a mental issue, right? This is not something that sane people do. But like I said earlier, the mental health industry is afraid that if we admit that, that we're all going to, and, and we all, we're all guilty of this. Everybody wants a simple solution. So they just go, it's like the, we'll ban all guns. Everything will be fine. Let's lock up all people that have ever had a, a seen a, a psychiatrist and everything will be good. Um, delving into that a little bit when I was writing the book, It's actually not just people with uh, bipolarism and schizophrenia tend to be two of the leading causes of this, but it's when it's coupled with substance abuse uh, and a history of violence growing up when they were younger. So if you have someone that suffers from those two whose parents had the means to get them treatment early and they were raised in a normal family, uh, they don't tend to be a problem at all. It's when we go into the lower socioeconomic strata and you've got people that did not get the help and care they needed early, uh, and then they end up abusing drugs, and you couple that 
with these two um, diseases. Now you have a problem. Very good point. Very good you know, and, and then it, it makes a circle. You know, it, that yep. cycle just continues. Yep. Yeah, I would say to, uh, and it wouldn't have worked on that woman, but I, I, the argument about let's just get rid of all the guns smacks of, well, let's all amputate our penises then and we'll, we'll stop rape. All right. it's, it's like, I like mine. I don't want to amputate it. I'm not going to rape anybody. I teach people how not to do that. And uh, th again, the simple, there is no simple, but America particularly loves easy, quick, simple solutions. And so even they just more, grab even it. Even more grab so it. today. Yeah, yeah they just grab it. Let's do this and it'll all be better. They just don't want to admit that there are some things that are insurmountable unless we throw a metric shit ton of money at it. And we're not going to do that. Which and that's why I like to bring up that it's not new. I mean, no. these things have been going on for you know years and yes. years and years. Yeah, I, I love that in your book. I read that about in the 1700s. Like, oh, damn, that's 300 years ago. We're still dealing with this. When are they going to fix it? Yep. So maybe let's talk about what are some things that we can maybe do and, and what, what can some people do that are watching this that could help themselves or their organizations, whether that be they work in a school or somewhere else. I mean, and I'll, I'll tell a quick story. I talked about this yesterday. I had someone call me and their school was thinking about having somebody come and act like they were an active shooter to surprise everybody at the school during school time with the students. And, yeah. and I, I told this woman, I said, that's the most terrible idea in the world. I just don't, you know, go back to that school council and do not let them do something like that. Um, but, you know, cause so people, I mean, I will applaud them that they were trying to do something that, you know, they, their purpose I'm sure was to help the school be more safe. But rather than get them training and stuff, they were going to do this surprise attack to see how effective they were. No, you need to give some solid advice to some of these people that don't really know what to do. I've, I've, knocked, I've knocked out two people in my life who surprised me as a joke at a party. They, they, this was one in Australia and one in England. They heard of my background and they're like, oh, let's sneak up on him and see, see if he can do the business. Oh. And they went to sleep for a while. Yeah, that's that's not a good idea. That is really not a good idea. The, the first thing that I first piece of advice I always give any parent who asks me, and this speaks specifically to school shootings, not mass shootings in general, is go volunteer at your school. Yes. School needs it. Whether you want to be the the chess coach, wrestling coach, photocopy papers, whatever. Every school needs volunteers, and if you get in there, that gives you things. First of all, you get to know the grounds and the staff. So that you can talk to your kids about whatever the school response plan is and figure out if it's realistic. Because a lot of schools have one plan built at the district level applied to all schools, which may or may not be realistic given the architecture of the school your kid's in, given the staff that's at the school. So by volunteering, you can get those pieces of information. It also means that with any other kind of trouble at school, your kid will get special treatment because they know you. Yeah. You want the parents that you want the principals and the teachers all to go. Oh man, I'm gonna have to talk to Nick if if, if I if I don't get this nipped in the bud right now. Yeah. Right? And so that's the first thing we can do is to get on there. And even at at that maker level, at that stopping it ahead of time, it could be that your energy and presence in the school, that one conversation, one bit of kindness you show that one kid. Your influence in that school could mean that one doesn't go on to commit violence in the school. So it's it is the single most important thing you can do for your kid's safety. Yeah, that you bring up a huge point. When you look at the amount of these kids that we find out later, they're loners, mm -hmm. right? There's no dad in the picture. They live with mom in the basement. You know, they're ubiquitous. They're in the basement with mom playing video games. Um, all the kids at school ostracize them because they're not very adept at social interaction. And now these kids get marginalized to the point where they get pushed and pushed and pushed into a corner. And then they come back and re I mean, that was Columbine. And that's why I took umbrage with what one of the federal agencies said, Oh, they don't, they just randomly shoot people and they don't put, put they don't pick, this was their definition of an active shooter. They randomly shoot victims and they don't, 
pick particular people. That's not true. Columbine, those kids were walking through and they would see some kids who'd been nice to them and they'd like wave them past. And they were particularly hunting the jocks down that had picked on them. If we can get where you start educating children to take that kid that's being ostracized and bring him into the group. The other thing that we have seen recently, um, I think this was after, it wasn't after Columbine. It was on, after one of the more recent shootings. It might have been Parkland. We've now seen kids speaking up to law enforcement mm -hmm. and, and contacting teachers and stuff and saying, like, he's talking about doing this or these guys are on social media saying that. And there have been several instances now that I've seen where the FBI and local cops have intervened and they have found these kids with a trunk full of weapons and a manifesto ready to go and let loose. And the fact that somebody spoke up ahead of time prevented another tragedy. So that's huge. That's something I talk about in all of my programs. It is so important. And we can all remember it made national news, the girl up in the Northeast where the father found the diary. And she yes. was writing how she wanted to be the first female active shooter, which she wouldn't have been the first female. No. But the important thing is he found that diary, took some action. They got that young lady help before she went and killed people. Yeah. Yep. And that's, that's one of the first and foremost things I teach everyone is we need to try to cut it off by recognizing those signs and doing something before the day. That's our best response to these is to stop them first. Yeah, and I think another part of that ties in with we have seen, and again, this is a criticism of the agency. There have been multiple times when local law enforcement and FBI, we find out after, have been told, all right about this person and chose not to do anything they went and they went and did a door knock and the guy doesn't answer and they check a box and go i did that and they go back and and to jason's point yeah they're overworked and they're underfunded so i'm sure they'd love to follow up and i'm not accusing them of saying they don't do it because they're lazy it's probably an understaffing and a lack of funding issue but we find out time and time again that they were warned about this particular person and they did nothing no, true. You're going to say something about that, Jason? Or? Um, no, I said it already. Uh, so what are some other things people could do? Well, I mean, I look at Israel and I haven't been there. but and, and again, you have to be careful with what you see online because half of this deep fake stuff and people are very selective about what they pick out and put there. But I have been told that there are schools over there where the teachers are armed. Um, I don't think, again, that's a simple solution, by the way. I hear all these guys, I'm the teachers. And teachers, rightfully so, have said, I don't want to be armed. Yeah. I've taught I, thousands and thousands of teachers in the last, yeah. you know, what, eight, nine years I've been doing this. And they became teachers because they didn't want to be cops and soldiers. Yes, exactly. And, and that's yep. why I've, I've had much better luck giving them the non-lethal reflex protect. And, yep. and they'll, they'll accept that as a tool. But yep. an actual firearm where they would have to probably kill a student that maybe they were a teacher of, that yep. just is so difficult. And most of them are like, no way. But they yep. will do a non-lethal like reflex protect, which gives them some means to, to protect themselves. And then what we need to do is have an armed student resource officer in the school yes. because they are they have the more training, well, they have the ability to I, do I'm something. Gonna, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. We had one of those. Wasn't that Parkland where he sat outside while the killing yeah. went on? And, and then that's we why what I often say is we don't want to take the police officer that, well, he's not the best police officer. We'll just yes. stick him over in the school. We need yes. to put our best officers in the school. Thank you. Yeah, might not only are they competent with firearms and dealing with violence, but they have the interpersonal skills to interact with the parents, staff, yeah. teachers, and students at that school because their job is not just to be there for an active killer. Their job right. is for a lot of other things, and we need the, the best and brightest men and women in those positions. Yep. I might advocate for a, a specialized group that maybe at the trained at the federal level or the state level because the data on school resource officers and how much good they do in the schools is not friendly. The, right. What now is not great. Um, right. Increased number of arrests of students for minor things is how you end up with the fourth graders in the back of a car because of some yeah. But uh, some kind of specialized program. I even had a wild thought of another thing that's missing 
schools right now is like in, in our school district, uh, three elementary schools share a nurse. Um, so I thought of maybe um, sourcing veterans who had veterans who had medic training. Yep. And putting them in. So you have a, you know, a medically trained person who's who knows how to handle a firearm, but also how not to misuse that firearm. Yeah. Um, Joe mentions about the veterans as well. And we just, the only thing we have to do is we have to make sure that they're properly vetted and trained and that's going to take money and resources because unfortunately some of the people that would want a position like that want it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And and you have to realize that the active killer defense is such a small part of that role may never happen but there's all the other interactions with students, parents, teachers, staff that they're going to be responsible for. So it needs to be the right people. Yeah. And we were talking earlier about arming teachers. I think there is a space for, I think we all knew one or two teachers when we were, when we were in school who, yeah, that guy, that guy, that girl, I would be totally comfortable with them having a firearm, but the two or three teachers you could think of right now from your childhood who would most want, to be armed in school, you wouldn't want to give a gun in school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Dixon makes a good point that, you know, it's it's hard to know ahead of time who's going to react how in a, a situation like that. And all of us that we've been in altercations, we've been in jobs and military where we've seen that. And sometimes the yep. biggest, toughest guy that you think is the macho is not, and it might be the person you don't suspect turns out to be the hero yep absolutely right that's one advantage of getting the veteran if he's been through conflict and proved himself he's probably going to step up to the plate the next time around yeah yeah and i to jason's point i think um we should at least make it an option though that if a teacher wanted to be armed they could go through a training program and evaluation to get that training because right now they're denied that even if they want to. Yeah. And part of the the hesitancy, I think, of that is like who pays for the training, who pays yep. for the firearm, who pays for the increased insurance, I mean, yep. all those things. And that's why having a resource officer, the law enforcement budget is paying for it, not necessarily the school, but the, yeah. all of those are factors. Yeah, and, and then it, it also opens up other issues. If you let the kids know who is the armed officer, then the first guy I'm going to target if I'm going to shoot a school is that guy. Yeah. That was the problem Marcus Wynn pointed out to me years ago. He was on a job in South Africa with a girl, and he's walking around rocking a leather bomber jacket and blue jeans and Timberland boots and all this stuff and a Screaming Eagle haircut. And she's just dressed up like a little girl. And uh, he was joking. He said, you're not much of a deterrent. And she said, Marcus, if the bad guys come, who's the first person they're going to shoot? <laughs> right? You or me. And, and then he, he started addressing that and, like, trying – he got more into that concept of the gray men. Or they wait till that person's on lunch break or, or yep. something like that. Yep. Again, no simple, easy answer. Nope. Yeah, which leaves us as, as parents or as civilians – survival's on us the solution yep. comes it's going to be probably after all of us are dead of old age cancer or stupidity um i'll probably be the third but um those things what we can do in the moment and um alan your book and nick your book both have really really smart information about that First and foremost, situational awareness. Um, We need to pull our heads out of our apps and pay better attention to the world we're living in. Yep, I agree. I'm also very disillusioned with the responses I've seen by corporations who, again, I got told years ago, man, always follow the money. One of the first billionaires I bodyguarded taught me that. Um, I'm talking to the guys that work locally in some of the big corporations, and I won't name names. And I said, you guys want me to come in and do an active shooter presentation? Oh, we had that already. I said, really? What happened? And uh, they said, oh, they, they sent a video that corporate made, right, that we can watch if we want to, right? And, and that's their treatment. And this video was literally the old run, hide, fight thing, yep. right? And in England's truly lamentable run, hide, and rat on somebody, 
Uh, and it, it's just so frustrating. And you look at the government's description. Uh, I talk about this in my book. The government's description of an active shooter isn't even accurate. They're saying it'll be an individual, which which we know it's not, right? In Paris, they had the teams. They had the three guys went into Charlie Hebdo and shot the journalists. They had the big two, t two teams running rampant over there. We had three guys in England tape themselves together and start attacking people. We had the uh, Westlake, what is it, the Kenyan Mall shooting where they're in there for four days. Uh, we had the husband and wife, was that Farouk or something out in California and San Bernardino or somewhere? Bernardino. They went up. Yeah. Columbine was not individuals. That was two kids. So this whole concept that it's two people. In Mumbai, they had sniper overwatch while the guys walked in and started uh, hitting everybody in the hotels. So the government says individual. They say random. It's not. Columbine proved that. They target specific individuals. Um, so, yeah, they can't, they can't even get their head screwed on right as to what is an accurate definition. That's part of the problem. Identify it properly. And then, for God's sake, in an effort to save a dollar, don't do some lame video that you send your people and make it optional as to whether they watch it. And then give them this stupid – because I get these people here. Again, it's Americans wanting simple, right? Oh, okay, I got it now. If one comes in here, we're going to run or we're going to hide or we're going to fight. We're good to go now. That's all we need to know. And then you look at the reality of this. Keith Childers is a buddy of mine who lives in North Carolina. He's a former head of the North Carolina Tactical Officers Association. And they were training in a school over the vacation when it was empty, and they were using noisemakers. And they had some state troopers there. And when those noisemakers went off, and, and this is another thing, so many people haven't shot inside a building or a car. The noise is horrendous. And these guys involuntarily flinched by grabbing the women officers they were with and pulling them in front of them and cowering behind them. It was that loud. The other problem inside a building is you don't know where the noise is coming from if someone's shooting inside. Go and, go and ask any soldier that's been in a building while there's a gunfight going on and ask him to point out, where's this coming from? You don't know. One of my students was in the hospital shooting here in North Carolina back in uh, 2017. And the down the floor downstairs, when he walked into the ER, they didn't even know there was a shooting going on. Mm -hmm. And he had to walk through the hospital to try and find it. Then he could hear one of the rounds going off. And you're like, where did that come from? And you're looking left and right down this corridor because the acoustics throw you. And so they just sit there and go, run. I'm like, run where? Right? And then hide. And here's another problem with run. And I know you guys have read my book. Much to our shame, 63% of the country's obese. Who's running? They couldn't run to the food machine without dropping dead. And we, we tell them just blanket run. Oh, I'm good to go. I'll just run. I'm like, no, you won't. And then how are you going to hide if you're obese? Hide under what? Your desk? Most of them can't fit. It, it just pisses me off that they come up with this oversimplified, just tell them this and placate the masses. They're dumb. They'll accept it. And, you know, some of the trainers out there are doing this. The, the call that I had yesterday or the day before yesterday when I was talking about, she was talking about the school, one of the that they wanted to have the surprise attack. But another thing she brought up, because her daughter works at the school with autistic kids. Yeah. And they, they said, well, we, you know, they said, when you lock down, you got to be quiet and keep it dark, which, yes, that's preferable. But she said, these kids are going to freak out and be screaming. We can't keep them quiet. So they asked this trainer and the trainer said, well, you just need to run them behind yeah. the exit and run. And they yeah. like, hey, one of them's in a wheelchair. A couple <laughs> of them are so heavy. They can't run. My yeah. wife works with an autistic kid that's blind. Yep. These trainers don't even know the realities of what's in that school. Everyone's looking for simple again. You know, so I had to give her some st strategies and suggestions of making a better lockdown, using headphones on the autistic kids that they use to help keep them calm. And and you just basically you do the best you can with what you got sometimes. Yeah, that, that, again, you've read my book, so you know my uh, issues I have with this stuff. One about um, we'll just shut the doors lock it down and make it dark, and they'll think we're on vacation. Well, 98% of the workplace violence is a disgruntled former employee. So the former employee is at work the day you bring the expert in to teach how to deal with an active shooter, right? And he tells that employee, yes, we want you to lock the doors into the office, turn the lights and your cell phones off, and you'll think you're on vacation. You just gave the enemy your battle plan.
Now, that guy walks into school a month later, sorry, walks into work a month later after you fired him, and he sees a locked door and the lights out, and he, he's what? He's supposed to suspect, oh, I guess they're not here today because the doors are locked and the lights are off. And this is despite the fact that all the, all the employees' cars are in the parking lot. I mean, it's asinine. The, the other one I hate, I see these people every time there's a shooting, the local news will go to some twat who's teaching a group of people in an office how to deal with an active shooter. And you see them all sit behind their desks and they have the role player come in the door with the rifle and everyone jumps up and runs throwing, you know, staplers and pens and crap off their desk at the guy and they're supposed to tackle the gunman. And I think, Jason, you said earlier, I don't know, it was Alan, we don't know who's going to run at the gun and who's going to run from the gun and who's going to curl up and cry until you've been there. And I think you're making a massive assumption if you assume that all the guys in your cubicles are going to jump up and attack this guy because they did it on a guy with a toy gun one day. Right? I mean, it's, it's I, ideally, that would be optimal. But like you said, who is actually going to do it under the stress? That we, yeah. we don't know. Nope, we do does, not. Does one well, size and, and, well, hang on. Sorry, let me let me interrupt because this this is deals with this in England. I think it was about four or five years ago. There were the three Arab fundamentalists that taped themselves together and went down with the knives into the uh, nightclub area on a Friday night. Started attacking the crowds. The mob were throwing beer glasses, beer bottles, chairs, bar stools, and everything at these guys for eight minutes until armed response officers turned up and stopped it. So for eight minutes, you had a crowd of basically English soccer hooligans throwing shit at these people, and it didn't stop them. So you're going to have Larry the Lounge Lizard and Sally from Accounts, right, throwing staplers at some guy with a rifle. And what was the guy at the Navy Yards up in thing? He had a pump-action shotgun. He's going to walk into a room. You're going to throw a stapler at him with a bunch of people, and that's that's expected to stop this guy? Would it slow him down, though? Did, did it slow him? I mean, I mean, is it better than is, is it better than hiding under the desk and not doing absolutely well, that, nothing? Well, that's why, mate. That's why I yeah. don't advocate hiding. What I advocate yeah. is number one: you're on your own. One of you two guys said it a minute ago, right? If if it's protection is down to us, right? Don't rely on these other people that are supposed to come charging to your help because what they'll tell you and what they do are two different things. And I've seen this bouncing around the world, and I've seen it in the military. And the times to go and run and confront the guy, half of them are running the other way. All right. So you just don't know. I think you better prepare for what your plan is. And if someone else comes along to help, that's a bonus. But I'm not going to rely on that. I'm also not hiding. If, if we look at all of the successful interventions where someone didn't have a firearm, they ambushed the guy and tackled him. And we see that again. And I had people criticizing the Crab Maga defense, which is to run behind the guy, tackle him into the floor and pin him. But if we look at successful interventions, that is exactly what these people have done. Mm -hmm. So you know this Asian guy, Say, I think his name was, that attacked the guy out in California. This was just what, back in January. He'd gone to one uh, club where they were celebrating the Asian New Year. And he'd killed a bunch of people. And then he turned up at the second club and he was trying to reload the weapon when this kid ran and tackled him. We've had the kids in school that have run and tackled these guys. We had the three military personnel on the train in uh, France that went and tackled the guy. All right. We look again and again and again and again, and we'll see people tackling. The, the, what was the uh, army dude that was in the gay club in Colorado Springs that tackled the guy? All right. We see again and again and again people hiding, jumping out from behind something, running and tackling. What about the guy in the Waffle House that grabbed the barrel and burnt his hand? All right, He was hiding behind the freezer door or something, and the guy came in and he ran and grabbed it, and they attributed him with saving everyone inside that Waffle House. Mm -hmm. So we look again and again and again and again, and despite the experts saying it doesn't work, we see people successfully hiding and ambushing the guy, which is what I say when I in my book. It's like deny the guy his what he wants to do and the safest way to do that. The other thing... Jason was asking the question earlier, what else can we do? I think it behooves everybody to get to a range or get some firearm training, not to shoot anybody, but to recognize what a malfunction looks like and what reloading looks like. Because those kids in France, because they had military training, recognized, oh, shit, he's got a jam. This is our time. And that's when they ran and tackled the guy. Right? And we see that again and again. This kid the other day he said, yeah, he was fumbling with the gun. I figured he was reloading it. 
that's why well, that's why he felt comfortable running out and tackling him. All right. So when you have some familiarity with weapons, you wait for the reload, and that's when you say, "Now's our moment." But again, if you don't know that, average person sitting there in shock because they've never even heard a gun fire in real life and they freeze, got to get some training. I think that's where the a lot of people misunderstand the hide portion of things, where when we say hide, people think get under your desk and hope for the best, which is yeah. not as No. It is hiding in preparation for an ambush. Yep. You know, uh, teachers that come to me that I talk to about it, most most classrooms in my district have noticed have a coffee maker yep you get that get crap full of hot coffee get behind something that will block vision and ruin the guy's day yeah well that's that and that's why i talk about we, it's all semantics right yeah. uh, but when you say run as opposed to what i say which is evade mm-hmm. all right running is just blanket like run away and, and just off in a direction and hope that i'm safe doesn't work um evasion it could be you hiding behind a wall hiding behind a thing crawling into a crawl space it's not necessarily just running blindly um denying more, some denying john, someone sorry more john mcclain less chicken with his head cut off yeah and then and then the straight out hiding thing again instead of denying denying can be something like locking a door but it's also fighting the guy it's also tackling him and taking his gun away and again we there's five or six instances where high school teachers have tackled the kid with the gun all right before he's able to do any damage or while he's doing a reload and they've been successful so this denying thing and then the other one the fight um Again, it's easy to say. Most people don't know how to deal with a weapon. I, I get, I know Alan and I disagree on this, but these guys that run around and teach grabbing the barrel of the gun to do a disarm, I'm like, that's okay, and I teach that too if you're being threatened with a weapon. But if that weapon's been firing, go look at the clips on YouTube where they're cooking bacon on the barrel of the weapon. All right, they wrap bacon rashes round the barrel, fire a couple of magazines through, and the bacon is cooked. And you're going to teach someone, go and grab that. That's like, all right, so go turn your stove on and grab it. I want to see how long you can hang on for. All right, I think, again, the better option is not necessarily fighting. It's tackling that guy from behind and getting the weapon away and knowing how to do that safely. And that's the primary thing that I teach, too, is from the side, from the rear, never somebody straight head on to a gun. And I try to get them to ambush at doorways or corners. You know, that's your best chance. You stack beside the door. He comes in. He's looking that way. You hit him from the side. Yes, absolutely. If you you have a fire extinguisher, you spray him in the face and hit him in the head with it really hard before you tackle him. Reflex protect, you spray him in the face, tackle him. If you have nothing, you just take him out and pound on him with your hands or a pencil. If you're John Wick, you know, you kill him with a pencil. And even even something simple as if you got nothing else, a glass of water to the face first. So, yep. vision, so you obscure the vision momentarily. You know, there's yep. a lot of resources in a school, in a mall, in a shunt, you know, at a concert hall than I think a lot of people realize. Yep. I mean, improvised weapons are your mindset, not objects. Yes. You know, if, if you have the right mindset, anything can aid you in taking that guy out. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, so one of the other things I wanted to point out, though, to the people that are, again, oh, let's just do away with guns. There are, and and who think this is a uniquely American problem, because you asked me on here to talk about overseas. Uh, We have seen school massacres and shootings in just about every country around the world. All right. Very, very few have escaped this. Uh, Go and do some research. One of the problems with America, and I love this country and I wouldn't live anywhere else, but one of the things is we're very American-centric. When you live in Europe, they they could tell you in any country in Europe, they know who the American president is. Go and ask the average American. Most of them couldn't tell you who our president is, let alone who's the president of Germany, France, Netherlands, Norway, whatever. Um, And they tend to forget that there are school shootings and massacres in other countries. All right. They also tend to neglect that, you know, oh, we take the guns away and everything is simple. No, we took the guns away in Australia. And as I pointed out earlier, we had a hostel where a guy sat at a light, burnt 15 people to death. There were eight people bludgeoned to death in Sydney. There was another fire. We had that. Remember the guy in France in the truck, the rental van that plowed into the parade down in Nice? 
He killed 80 people that day. He would have killed 580, but the body parts clogged up underneath the axles and brought the truck to a standstill. It wasn't police action. Everyone said it was the cops shooting the truck that stopped it. They actually shot the wrong side because he was sitting in the passenger seat with a brick on the gas pedal steering the truck from the other side, knowing that the police would shoot behind where the driver would sit. And what stopped that truck was body parts wrapped around the axles. Otherwise, he would have got 300 people. What about in London with a guy with a machete in the truck that hit the people walking across the bridge right in front of Parliament House? And then he went and killed the cop standing outside Parliament. All right. It is not a gun. Does a gun make it easier? Yeah, for sure. All right. But it is not. We get rid of them and this isn't going to happen anymore. All right, 28 people stabbed the, the guy in Germany with a flamethrower and a spear, sarin gas. How many did that kill? Um, arson's a big one. Trucks are another big one. Stabbings and machetes and spears are big. I mean, if someone is determined to go and kill a bunch of kids or kill a bunch of anybody and they don't have access to a gun, they'll find another way. Well, Bath, Michigan, worst school killing, 43 killed, and it was with yeah. explosives. When he, yep. you know, he he had his truck with explosives and the explosives that he put at the school and, and well, killed again, go, all the people that way. Go worldwide and get out of America. Look at Russia where they had 300 killed in the school. Remember the, uh, where was that? Uh, it started with a B. I can't remember it right now. Was it? Bel yeah. Bell. Yeah, I, I know it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the, uh, Russian special forces screwed it up and pumped it with gas that was supposed to knock everyone out and ended up killing everybody. Chechenian rebels had taken the school over and there was 301 victims, I think, in that one. Mm. So, yeah, the idea that, you know, we, we got very lucky here with the uh, with this one the other day that, that what, he was there for four, he, she, whatever it was, was there for 14 minutes and only got so few victims. Yeah, yeah I mean, but, it, it, great law enforcement response, but yes, terrific. the the bar a few years ago where that the law enforcement were there within seconds. I mean, less than a minute, and that person still killed nine, which still yeah. illustrates that we are our own first responders. Because even with the best law enforcement response, people are killed, yeah. and we need to look out for our own. Like Jason mentioned earlier, and yeah. we've all sort of said we we have to look out for ourselves. That well, and that's, that's the argument That's the argument against law enforcement when everybody says, well, that's the police's job, that's the police's job. They, they always forget law enforcement. They do an amazing job, but they are trained to deal with crime after the fact. It's, it's not – you don't go, I'm going to town Friday night and I want a cop to come with me because I might get assaulted, right? It's after I'm assaulted I call the police and go, I was assaulted. Yeah, when seconds count, the police are minutes away. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, but props to those guys in Nashville. They did an amazing yeah. job. Yeah. It did. It was an excellent response. I mean, 14 minutes after they get the call, you know, yep. the, the incident is done and over. And yep. so, yep. And I think that we also have to add into this uh, I've seen it mentioned a few times, and I think there's merit to it. One of the things, again, that's irrefutable is after these shootings, and I think, you know, you brought up the point, Alan, that this has increased over the last couple of decades. And I think there's a direct correlation between that and not just social media, but media in general. I run into parents all the time. They won't let their kids go anywhere because my kid's going to get snatched and he's going to get raped and he's going to get there. And I'm like, there is no increase in the amount of child abductions or anything else now than there was 500 years ago. The difference is 500 years ago, I would not know, all right, that in Seattle there was some guy kidnapping and murdering children. I wouldn't know about Gacy in Florida, right? You wouldn't have known living in France in whenever it was about Jack the Ripper over in London. All right, you wouldn't have heard about it. Now, the instant something is happening, someone's filming on their phone and it's pouring into our camera, and that's coming all over the world. So all of a sudden, you have people thinking, oh, my God, this is happening everywhere. I'm not letting my kid out of my sight. I'm not going to do this. And everyone's in panic mode All right, because of the social media. So now we have copycats as a result of this. And we see every time there's an active shooter, we know pretty much there's going to be another one shortly thereafter because we're going to follow it. Um, I think media could do a hell of a lot of a better job 
right? Stop glorifying these people. Don't publish their names, right? Make them disappear. They're just like, they're a nobody. They don't talk. And I, and I have seen a trend where some of the media are actually doing this. They're now refusing to name the person who did the shooting. Uh, I think that needs to be some sort of like the English with their D notice where they can stop the press from reporting about things if it involves national security. I wish we had something like that here where the government could go, you know what, going forward, we are not going to name the name of any of these clowns that go in and do this. We're not going to give them any more attention other than, hey, there was an active shooting and this is what happened and it's done and been dealt with. And, and glorify the victims if you want and name their names, but not the clown that did the job. Because one of the shooters in, I want to say Finland, but hopefully someone correct me if I'm wrong, or no, I think it was Crimea. He was a fan of the kids on Columbine who were on a social media chat group. This is a bunch of these kids that have been victimized and bullied that found one another online. And then when the Columbine kids said they were going to go do something about it, he never reported it. And they became the heroes to these kids. And then a couple of weeks later, he walks out and does the same thing. So I think if we do a better job at downplaying this crap, right, instead of glorifying them and putting their pictures in all the media, I think we'll have less copycats, and that can only be a good thing. That's true. I mean, and they learn from each other. I mean, they, yes. they suspect that the Virginia Tech got the idea of chaining the doors because yep. they found research of the Amish schoolhouse killing that happened a little bit before that where he barricaded himself in where the police yep. couldn't get in when he was with those little girls. Yep. So, I mean, they're learning from each other, copying each other, trying to better, you know, up one, the previous killing and... Well, and back, and back, we to the, back to the point that. about back to the point about reporting this. That kid, this just jogged my memory with Virginia Tech. When they went back and studied him, they found out at the range he was at. Did you, do you remember this from my book? He was putting targets under tables and yeah. desks. He was practicing. I do in my classes. In my classes, I say, "Is you know who here has ever been to a shooting range?" And you know, I get a lot yeah. of hands. Have you ever been to the shooting range practicing shooting under desks? And I walk, yeah. you know, across the room and everybody's <laughs> like, I go, is that normal range behavior? Well, no. Virginia Tech killer was seen doing that prior to the shooting. Uh, well, and did you see the one the other day that went uh, on Facebook that a woman had seen the shooter from Nashville at the range a year earlier? thought there was something so odd about this guy that she snapped a picture of him when she was leaving the range. She left the range immediately. She said, there's something not right with this guy. And she felt it so strongly that she actually snapped a picture of him from behind as she was leaving. And a year later, he does this. And again, she saw that. I'm not blaming her, by the way, but she spotted something so outrageous about this guy it stood out so blindingly that she actually took a picture and a year later he goes off again if we had stepped up and said look i don't want to be you know ratting on people i don't feel it's my place but there's something not right about that person maybe you look into it yeah. i think and again we've had it proven right where some of these girls and the father with the chick's diary when they step up and say something that we have prevented and i think there needs to be more of that for sure yeah, I mean, if she saw that about about the Nashville shooter, yep. How many people closer to? to yes. Yep. Yep. Could have seen exactly the pattern. Yep. Yeah. Joe mentions about you know not wanting to publish that manifesto and those kind of things that they find because that's giving you know those that want to copycat yes. more additional stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the copycatting is a big thing. Yeah. You know, we've almost gone an hour, so let's, we're trying to wrap this up. Let's, you know, what would be your number one thing that people should probably do to try to make organizations more safe, whether it's a school or a different organization? So my, my area, you know, my focus is on the schools because it's, you know, I do a family safety channel. And yep. besides volunteering, which I'll reiterate, go do that. It's one of the best things you can do to keep your family safe. Find out what the the shooter response policy is at your school and in some districts that's pretty easy to get in other districts you need to do some social engineering get a teacher drunk whatever it takes because you know that's some districts have better than and then find out it's a big red flag if it's one plan for the entire district 
for example, in the school district that I'm in, they have one plan. The high school is built like a prison, you know, foot thick concrete walls, tiny little solid core door with a little window with a wire reinforcement and some guy who's bucking wrestling scholarship in, in, in the room with you, right? The plan for that room is different from my uh, the elementary school that my kids go to. Every single classroom has a slider patio door going to the outside and one of the walls is a plastic accordion divider. The plan for the could not be the plan for the elementary school for with that kind of architecture. And yeah. so find what the plan is for the district, if it's one size fits all, find out what the plan for your school is, and then go in there and figure out if that's a realistic survivable plan. You know, my my kids had their own which was if there was something like that, we live a block and a half away, go out that sliding door and run like hell and come home. Which was much better than in a uh perforatable room and hoping for the best. So that's a long way of saying find out what the plan is and make your own assessment about whether or not this will keep your child safe. Because again, um, our safety is our responsibility, especially with this issue because the people in charge aren't going to, they're not going to find it for us. All right. So I'll bring in the adult thing in the workplace because I have no children that I'm aware of. Um, no I way. think it's, Again, Alan, it's funny that you ask, well, what's the one thing? I don't think there is one thing. Uh, I think it's a multi-pronged approach. You have to do what Jason said, right? What is the corporation or the company you're working at? What is their policy? Number two, if it's not up to par, if it is some, either it's nothing in a lot of these places or it's some cheap-ass video they spend a couple of grand on and send out in an email and said, watch this if you want. I think it behooves you get to a range, get someone who's familiar with weapons to show you what it looks like when someone's reloading and what a malfunction looks like, because that is your best chance of intervening. Get some training in how to disarm somebody and throw some basic strikes and do some self-defense. Look around your place of work and figure out where you go if it comes from this direction. You know, the military's got his red hand books and plans, and we woke up tomorrow morning and China's attacking us. We pull out that China is attacking us plan. We know what we're doing. If we turn around and go, no, Mexico's attacking us. We have Mexicans attacking this plan. I think you have to have it. It's one gun, or it's two. If he's coming down this hallway, if he's coming this way, uh, whatever that is, have some ideas in your head as to what you're going to do. I would have one of those bulletproof backpacks. If my work permitted me to take a weapon, I would, and I would get training. Uh, I don't have this blanket run thing. I hate the concept. I'd be thinking through some better strategies. Uh, looking at people, other people at work that are like-minded, that might join forces with you, so two guys could go off and start training together and put together something. I just don't think there's one easy thing that we can do. Oh, I agree. And if something happened with your sound there, Nick. I'm not sure if you adjusted uh, something. Your sound got a little off there for a minute. but I apologize. Did they still hear it? It was just horribly wretched quality. I I think we can still we can still hear it, but it just really dropped down some and was a little different. I'm not sure why, but I apologize. Technology, I told you we hate it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and and I agree. And when I said one thing, I guess it was just the final thing um, to to impart to people because you're right. There's there's so many things. Um, everybody can easy enough to find me. You can go to surviveashooting.com or enjoylifesafely.com and see my, you know, the book Survive a Shooting. Learn more about me and my courses. Jason, where can they go to learn about more about you and what you're doing in your books and such? Look for Savas Family on the Block. We have a channel on YouTube. We have an Instagram uh, channel. And also we have a group on Facebook, Savas Family on the Block, where you'll be able to find a lot of contributions from Alan and a lot of other folks. Most of the guests on the show come on from time to time and tell folks what they've learned recently. So those are the best ways to find us. And Nick, where's the best place so people can find your books, videos, and things about you? Uh, the book's on Amazon, but the website is hmartel2bbravogolf.com, h2bg.com, uh, which is for how to be your own bodyguard. So h2bg.com, warriors, plural, with an S, warriorsgravmagar.com. Great. And everybody, I mean, I encourage you. These are just two of the resources you can get from Jason and Nick. 
There's other resources out there. Google both of them. You'll find things. Go to Safest Family on the Block, How to Be Your Own Bodyguard website, Amazon. If you got an account there, the books and such are available. Um, both gentlemen have tremendous resources and knowledge to share, and we only got a little tiny piece of it in this hour. And I want to thank both of you for coming on. And everybody, remember Alan, Coffee with Alan every day at 8 o'clock. If you don't catch it live, we appreciate comments on the replays and stuff too, and I'll go back and try to acknowledge people then. Everybody have a fantastic Friday. We'll see you tomorrow. See you guys.